This is Strange New Trek, a podcast about the life and times of Captain Christopher Pike. And now, your hosts. As William Thomas Riker once said, fate protects fools, little children, and ships named Enterprise. And I have always been a huge fan of the Starship Enterprise. Matter of fact, my third birthday cake was kind of shaped like it. Like My mom was not a baker, so let's not dwell on that too much. But there have been other ships by that name in both history and fantasy, and there will be others still to come. This week, we are going to talk about the history of the vessels named Enterprise. And joining me in this discussion is my number one, Commander Dog. And our chief engineer, Chris Ninian saying, what's happening, Chris? Hey, hey. Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know uh, we both kind of needed a discovery break, so here we are with this episode. <laughs> yeah, I thought, it, I thought it'd be a fun little a fun little diversion. And, you know, it's not like I'm sick of discovery. It's just like I kind of felt like we need to step back from it for, <laughs> for an episode or so, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we are going to talk about you know, the history of ships named Enterprise or, you know, vessels named Enterprise. And, you know, this, of course, kind of plays into your real life field of work. Uh, you want to give us a quick description of what you do and why you would know something about these vessels? Well, I know about the modern aircraft yes. carriers uh, because I do. Um, I'm an electronics person on navy ships and submarines with a special emphasis in fiber optics currently uh so I'm, i do know some things but like <laughs> you go back far enough and i I'm not, i don't have a clue <laughs> well look the older ones were made out of wood right i mean uh, what, what is there to know mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um no just you know you also like you seem to study things of a military history and to be fair, my my focus on military history is usually um, aircraft. <laughs> well, you know, and that's that's kind of one of the enterprises is an aircraft carrier. Yes, several of them, yeah. a couple of them, even yeah. so <laughs> three, see, even kind of kind of, and you knew that off the top of your head. <laughs> yeah, you're being a little too <laughs> modest, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But um, so anyhow, we're going to start with that and kind of kind of run from there. Anything you want to talk about before we get started? No, I think we're good, man. All right. Well, the first one that I came across, and I can't pronounce it because my French pronunciation is not good at all, but it's uh, La Enterprise, I guess. La Enterprise. Yeah, because I think that would be. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> L'entreprise, I think, would be it, but I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, that's the. Uh... That's what the first known human ship named Enterprise. I'm not sure why Wikipedia had to add in that first known human ship. Um, uh, probably because somewhere in, in here they have an Andorian ship that is the equal to it. And like, you know, Wikipedia may know something we don't, though. Right? Yeah. There might be a Martian <laughs> ship out there that we don't know about. Named the Enterprise? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that you know what I hadn't even really the words there, but like I kind of just glossed over it every time I saw it. Like I missed it. Like I'm looking right at it, but it's the brain. You know, the brain didn't pick it up. Yeah, yeah, that's a weird way, way to name it. Um, so that ship, 
I don't think we have a lot of idea when it was commissioned, but uh, it was a 320-ton, 24-gun, sixth-rate frigate. The funny fact about this ship is that when she was captured by the British in 1705, the British renamed her HMS Enterprise, as in with a Z, as in, I just got this prize. <laughs> hey, you know, it's... Um, the that's a nice slap in the face. Yeah, that's that's a, a an interesting spin on it right there. Yeah. Um, yeah, that used to happen. I don't think that's a thing that happens now, but that's a thing that used to happen during the age of sail. Is like you would take a ship and rechristen it. I think nowadays we just sink them. Yeah. I, well, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like our rules of engagement probably prevent us from doing things like taking ships like that you know, or as our own. Being all uh, piratey and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not sure how all that works these days. Like, uh, should the Navy ever find itself grabbing a ship from another country and keeping it as its own. Yeah. You know, I thought was kind of interesting was, uh, you know, in Ukraine, if you, uh, as a Ukrainian citizen, if you take over a, a, a abandoned Russian tank, you don't have to pay income tax on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was kind of interesting. They passed a law just for that, you know? Well, I mean, it's probably uh, a way to help, Oh, it, you know, 100%, you know, it's like just, keep people trying to take them out of commission. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, um, you know, you got to figure like, I would have just thought like, oh, we're fighting for our lives against an invader. I'll take this tank. <laughs> you know, I never thought about the tax implications of it. Oh, so as of 2007, the uh, Royal Navy has had 13 more ships named Enterprise slash Enterprise with a Z of which 10 were commissioned ships and therefore use the prefix HMS, or his or her majesty's ship. Yep, it's his majesty's ship currently. These days it would be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But for uh, 115 <laughs> years there, it was hers. Um, <laughs> as of 2019, the United States Navy has had eight vessels named Enterprise, of which six were commissioned and used the prefix USS, United States ship. Yeah. Eight a ninth ship bearing the name is currently under construction. Yeah, that's going to be the new Gerald R. Ford class of ships. And I guess they normally with the class of ships, they stay on a theme. Mm -hmm. So like since it's the Gerald R. Ford class, uh, most all the other ships are going to be named after presidents. So I imagine uh, this is the one oddball out. <laughs> yeah. You know, I always find it interesting how they name certain things like that. And I had wondered when I was younger if eventually they would introduce in Star Trek an Enterprise class, but then name them all after past captains. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, it was when they blew up the, the Enterprise D, I think I was wondering about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Navy uh, kind of does their classes thematically. So the first ship of the class you know the rest of them kind of follow along with that that naming convention mm -hmm. whether it's by state or um presidents in this case or some other theme that they have chosen for it gotcha so when we switch over here to the to well what was before the united states the continental navy which was part of the continental congress yeah they had the uss enterprise from 1775 to 1777 a 70-ton sloop that served on Lake Champlain. Yeah, I'm not sure 
Aren't the Great Lakes landlocked lakes? Um, or no? You know what? I, I don't know. Um, not from that part of the country, so I've never really looked. Let me check. Me neither. <laughs> That's in that weird middle section. Yeah. <laughs> we all just kind of fly over that part, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Lake Champlain. That sure looks landlocked to me. Yeah, so I'm just wondering what the, I mean, I guess there was still uh, shipping. Lake Champlain is pretty big, so. Oh, it is. It covers a lot of space. from. The yeah, bit. so, I mean, I guess maybe that's why they needed a military presence there. Yeah. Or, I mean, it could just be because, um, you know, the Navy also used that as a well, shipping thing. We still had the English coming out of Canada at that point, too. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, so I'm sure there were probably a couple, a couple lake-bound battles, you know. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, and th these are the years right as the Revolutionary War was kicking off. So, yep. Uh, yeah, a, a sloop is a sailing warship, but it's a small one. All right, so at roughly the same time, there was a ship just called Enterprise uh, that served from 1776 to 1777, a 25-ton schooner. Yep. That served in the Chesapeake Bay. One of these ships was the uh, holograph or the inspiration for the holographic sailing ship in Star Trek Generations. Now, I don't even recall what that is. <laughs> there was a scene in Generations where they were promoting Worf from lieutenant commander to commander, I think. And they were on a they were all on a sailboat, and then Data, not understanding humor, starts shoving people in the water. <laughs> Oh, okay, I see it. Yep. <laughs> you know, like, Generations was not a great movie. <laughs> it was just a movie in many ways, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Then there was a USS Enterprise from 1799 to 1823. 135-ton schooner defeated a 14-gun. Well, I know it's Triple E, so it's a Triple Eaton Corsair. Triple Eaton, maybe? Maybe, yeah. Uh, uh, Corsair. Corsair and Tripoli 1801 and 1800 refit upgraded her tonnage to 165 and in 1812 she was re-rigged as a brig. <laughs> so oh, the year the year they decided to do that's curious. You know, I think there was a war popping off that there, year. There was. I can't remember <laughs> the name of it, but there was the war of something that year. <laughs> 1812. Oh yeah, that was it. <laughs> The next USS Enterprise uh, was from 1831 to 1844, a 194-ton schooner. Let me see. In the schooner, that's a multi a multi sail ship, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So next, we go on to the Union Army Balloon Corps. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I give them credit for trying it out, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. May as well. Yeah, you know, they were probably still thinking airships and, you know, hoping for a future of steampunk at that point. <laughs> yeah, th this this little balloon kind of looks like, it kind of looks like a smaller, like one of those balloons you would fly in a basket below it. Yeah. It kind of looks like that. Uh, that's that, that's kind of what I was figuring. And I guess back then, what would you do? You could drop like, you'd, you could drop bombs from it. You'd yeah, yeah. I mean, they'd rifle. be... They would, yeah, rifle, pistol, whatever. Yeah. yeah, you could you could drop bombs out of that thing for sure. Oh yeah, there. I just pulled up a drawing of. Yeah, that's totally what it looks like. Is like a one or two man little basket. I feel like they were probably mainly used for reconnaissance, though. I'm not sure how much how many uh, bomb types we had in 1861. 
Just those old, like, uh, like you see the French uh, anarchists with, right? <laughs> uh, probably. Yeah. 1877 to 1909, 1,375-ton bark rig crew sloop of war. She was the first Enterprise known to use the USS prefix while in actual service. Oh, yeah, that's fair, because the first USS Enterprise, um, there was no United States yet. Oh, well, I mean, I guess they still called it the Continental Navy of the United States, but... But the actual formation and the Constitution were a few years off still. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I guess that's that's about right. Yeah. Enterprise SP-790 from 1917 to 1919, a motorboat. (laughs) (laughs) That word will always make me laugh. Non-commissioned, served in the Second Naval District during World War I. There's some. There's a sentence you don't think about very much. Uh, motorboat used in conjunction with World War One. I. I mean, obviously they existed, but like I don't know. When I think about World War One, I'm not thinking about motorboats and stuff. No, you know, because I mean, you still, even though there were a few motorized vehicles, you still think of men on horseback or in trenches. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's why it was still such a nasty, nasty, nasty war. You know. Oh yeah, all that trench fighting, man. Yeah. That had to been hell. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Then we get to the next USS Enterprise, the CV-6. Now we're starting to get into more modern uh, type e- ships. Yeah, that was known as the Big E. It's a 19,800-ton Yorktown-class aircraft carrier, and it was the most decorated World War II ship in the service. Really? So, That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, man, they were, they, they, uh, they were part of a lot of stuff, I think mainly in the Pacific. But, um, yeah, they were... They were fairly instrumental in a lot of naval battles. Oh, wow. Okay. And then following that would be the USS Enterprise CVN-65. Yeah, that N on the end of CVN uh, just stands for nuclear. So this would have been our first nuclear aircraft carrier. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, I think it has like eight reactors in it, which they weren't super sure how many they needed to run everything. So they, they just, you know, this is my headcanon. I think they just were like, screw it. We'll just go with eight. <laughs> yeah. So this would have been the Kitty Hawk class ship, which was succeeded by the Nimitz class, which is our current iteration of the aircraft carrier. We do not have any enterprise in the Nimitz classes though. Uh, so the Gerald R. Ford class aircraft carrier, CV and 80 USS Enterprise would be the first one since this one. Oh, wow. Okay. Looks like they did. I'm going to ask you this like you're an expert on this necessarily specifically, but it looks like they did quite a bit of experimental stuff with ships named Enterprise. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, the main thing being that those eight reactors, Mm -hmm. after that, they just kind of moved to two reactors. (laughs) Yeah. She has four rudders, and which is... Two more than any other class of ship. Normally, you know, you only have two rudders, but this one has four, I guess, for, I don't know. I don't know why they did it like that. Well, of course, um, this Enterprise, the CVN-65, sort of made an appearance in Star Trek IV The Voyage Home. Yeah, yeah. Oddly, a non-nuclear aircraft carrier portrayed the Enterprise in that movie. Uh, That was the USS Ranger, CV-61. Yeah, they probably weren't going to allow film crews on a nuclear vessel, so to speak. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, but if if you look at a picture of the of the ship, like it it does look fairly similar to its nuclear counterpart. So it's not like the Ranger looked way different. Well, no, it, I would assume it has a similar profile and that sort of thing. You know where? Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, and most of us wouldn't know. Hey, there's an aircraft carrier. Well, hey, it's the Enterprise. Look at that. <laughs> Wait a second. That actually looks like the Ranger. What are they doing here? <laughs> what, are you, what are you trying to pull? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have been. Able, I don't think I would have been able to tell the difference. Yeah. Well, and then we get into aircraft, air slash spacecraft, which brings up the uh, the balloon by the Army Balloon Corps. <laughs> probably yeah um, yeah bring that one up again <laughs> and then the, the one we had to discuss a little bit before the start of the show would be the space shuttle ov-101 which was the first orbiting shuttle but it was actually built as a landing craft um this was going to be named something else and i should have looked it up but i didn't but a a writing campaign by star trek fans got it renamed to the enterprise which is interesting because Star Trek often shows this amongst the collection of ships named Enterprise. Which, of course, Chris brings up the question, was Star Trek a show in the Star Trek universe? <laughs> I mean, it could have been. Yeah, I don't see why not, you know. You know, because basically uh, they're making, basically instead of it being like a fictional show, it'd be like a documentary type thing. Yeah. Well, not really, because that stuff wouldn't have happened yet. Never mind. Well, maybe um, they could have made a documentary, and then they got lost in the past <laughs> with some kind of time travel accident. <laughs> so they need to go back in time and find an extinct octopus, and they left these data crystals laying around with these old episodes of the Star Trek. <laughs> maybe I'm thinking too much about this. I think so. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, and uh, during its... um. And it's rollout the entire Star Trek cast and Gene Roddenberry was there. Yeah, no, it was, a, it was kind of a cool, a, a cool thing there for them to do, you know. Yeah, and I want to say when the when the current Enterprise got decommissioned, I'm pretty sure Shatner and maybe George Sakai were both there. Uh, could have been. I vaguely remember when that happened because I was somewhere where one of them. They, you know, they were flying around on the backs of 747s low enough that you could see them from the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. That that's still crazy to me. Like um just uh, having a shuttle strapped to the back of a another airplane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and seeing it in flight like that. No, that's I mean it was cuz I remember I was at work but it, I was working in uh Concord, California at the time and they had schedules of when ones were going to be out. So we actually walked outside to look and sure enough, almost directly above us, you could look up and see it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man. I, we need to get a shuttle program back so we can have a, another spacefaring enterprise. Some version of something anyhow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now the next one's a conceptual design, and it was for the, uh, a ship with the Alcubierre drive, Al Alcubri drive. Uh, which is a theoretical um, well, warp engine, basically, that literally warps space. It expands space behind you and shrinks it in front of you. Yeah. Um, this was the IXS Enterprise. Uh, you, can find, you can find artwork of it. It is kind of Enterprise-inspired in that it's got a large uh, disc section up front and then a rear engineering section with two ring drives. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it 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 kind of has what you might be able to describe as nacelles. Yeah, uh, but it has. It looks like it has four of them. So it definitely does look w a little different from the Star Trek Enterprise. But 
I don't think that if you saw this this craft in any of the Star Treks, like I don't think it would look too much out of place in the other ships in the Starfleet uh, inventory. <laughs> yeah, I think I think he'd look at it and think, hey, that fits, that works, yeah. Yeah, it, it looks pretty similar, yeah. Yeah, uh, and then the last one, of course, is a, a private uh, endeavor. It's the VSS Enterprise, which is Virgin Galactic's uh, space plane. Um, <laughs> yeah, oh, kind Rich. of an unceremonious end. <laughs> I believe it broke apart on a test flight. <laughs> yep, yeah. uh, it killed the pilot, uh, one of the pilots, and um, oh, I didn't even know. Guy. I didn't know somebody yeah. died in it. Yeah, yeah, that that yeah killed the pilot, and um, the other guy. The other pilot was injured. Oh, um, man. Yeah, I see. I didn't realize that. Somehow I had missed hearing about that, so it didn't stand out in my memory. Yeah, evidently there's some system that they deployed a little too early that caused the problem. I, I'm not sure past that. Yeah. Well, let's look. It's, you know, flight, you know, space flight, flight, all of it's kind of dangerous, especially when you're doing experimental, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I hate to hear of anybody dying for it, but it unfortunately is, does seem to be a constant in that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's what sucks about, uh, progress on this scale, man. Like mm -hmm. there's bound to be some casualties involved in it. Yeah. It makes you wonder what the Russians covered up during the space race, you know? Oh, I'm sure a lot. There's a couple things about that whole time period that is rife for, conspiracy theory that's for sure <laughs> oh, i'm sure yeah because i'm well we we had our share of accidents and we we were being pretty careful about how we handled things you know? yeah we were fairly public about it though <clears throat> yeah uh, there was that rumor that russia had left the astronaut up there and like for a little while i think shortwave radio enthusiasts could like pick up his transmissions and it, they weren't good yeah you know what i do remember I do remember hearing something about that at one. Now point. I don't know if that's I don't I don't know if that story is the is part of the conspiracy stuff or not, but I always thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. So maybe I'll have to do a deep dive on that soon. Well, it's certainly <laughs> something to check into, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And now we're going to start moving into the Star Trek universe. And uh we're going to start with the NX01 which was the uh, the ship used in Star Trek Enterprise. Yeah. Captained by Jonathan Archer. It was an NX class for the United Earth, uh, I believe it was still the United Earth Space Probe Agency at that time. It was in service, it appears, for 10 years, and it was instrumental, of course, in the formation of the United Federation of Planets. Now, because we're doing a Star Trek show, we can actually start to use a little conjecture and opinion here. What are your thoughts on this ship? Uh, well... I have only watched the mirror episodes. Well, not well. It was a mirror episode because the Gorn was in it. Uh, so that's really the only thing that the only experience I have with Enterprise. But looking at the ship, I don't know. I it feels like this one is more advanced than it should be. It always looked to me like a ship from Next Gen. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was gonna say. Well, that's where my mind was at. Like, it definitely looks like a later than TOS type ship for sure. Yeah, I mean if you if you go look up the Akira class from Next Generation, they're almost dead ringers for each other. So that one captained by Jonathan Archer for the NX class of ships. Mm -hmm. And then we move on to the NCC 1701. 
Ah, now here, here's the true beauty of the series. <laughs> I, I will yeah. always love this ship probably beyond all others, but you never forget your first love, you know? No, you're right. Uh, well, I mean, just think about how much Star Trek, both past and present have taken place on the enterprise. So, yeah. well, and you look, this, this thing has the, even when they get away from it, they are still paying homage to the design of this ship. You know, the, the kind of tuning fork engines the uh you know the large um saucer sections you know it's it's still one that's kind of referenced in most of their designs so yeah yeah and i mean to be fair like i don't know man like uh maybe it's just because i've seen the ship literally my whole life it always seems like you know once we get to a position here on earth where we have um basically space shipyards like it wouldn't like i could see a ship like this being built yeah like this this doesn't seem like out of the realm of yeah it doesn't seem like out of the realm of possibility for a reality based ship yeah um let's see here so chronologically this first appears now in the uh, star trek strange new worlds or discovery depending on how you want to you know label those out yeah um you know, it covers the original TOS series plus the first three Star Trek films. And yeah. this ship has five captains that we know. Robert April, who oversaw its construction. Christopher Pike, who, of course, we know is the, the first pilot in Strange New Worlds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Who would then pass the ship to uh, James T. Kirk. Uh, when he was promoted to Admiral, William Decker becomes captain. And then finally, by uh, the Wrath of Khan, it has moved to a uh, training ship, and now Spock is captain of the ship. Yeah, that was actually interesting that they did that. Um, Again, this is something grounded in real life. We take some of the older um, submarines and kind of do that with them, make them into training boats, some of them anyway. So, yeah, it was kind of cool the way they did that and how it kind of mirrors life, real life. It was kind of an interesting thought. I remember as a kid seeing that and you're like, finally, you know, Spock gets his own ship, you know, it's about time. Um, <laughs> it, it was a constitution class and it was built in the uh, shipyards in San Francisco. Gene Roddenberry always loved to reference San Francisco. <laughs> and uh, of course, if you really wanted to get into it, if you were to try to list off all the notable missions and crew members of that ship over its time, I think there'd be too many to really sit down and reasonably do in a short amount of time. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Of course that ship was destroyed over the Genesis planet in uh, Star Trek three, the search for Spock. Oh yeah. And then after being court martialed or what it put on trial or whatever it was, Kirk is taken from Admiral and demoted back to captain and then given his own ship again. Cause you know, (laughs) he just saved the universe again. Yeah, I feel like that kind of thing would not happen in modern times in the real world. Uh, usually when a when an officer that high rank messes up that bad, they force him to retire. It's retirement, yeah. Yeah, they don't demote him back to being able to captain a ship. <laughs> yeah, what's the job you really want now that you've stolen a ship and you know, gone against every order you've been given? So then they get the Enterprise A, and that is the ship that they have from uh, – well, parts five and six, probably five and six. Yeah. 
Um, now, when I was younger, there was always a rumor, and I don't know how we used to get rumors before the internet, but there was always the rumor that this Enterprise had actually started off as the USS Yorktown and was refit into the Enterprise A. If this is true, that'd be interesting because, of course, the original idea for the ship name for the original Star Trek was the Yorktown. Yeah, but I think there has been rumors on multiple iterations of the Enterprise that it was going to be named that. Because I, I want to say the the Enterprise on Enterprise was also rumored to be carrying the Yorktown moniker. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Okay. What's funny about them going back and forth between the Yorktown and then the, the Enterprise is the first aircraft carrier Enterprise was a Yorktown class ship. Mm-hmm. I did see I did see that uh, as, we, as we were preparing. And yeah. I thought that was kind of a, a neat callback as well, you know. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So after the Enterprise A, we get to the Enterprise B, captained by uh, John Harriman was his name, and he was good friends with Ferris Bueller. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. The Enterprise, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot all about him being <laughs> Alan being Ruck. That was, that was kind of, I mean, he didn't. <laughs> Alan Ruck looks like he could command a ship now that he's an older man and you know more stately looking. But when you're my age, you look at him and you think, "Oh, hey, it's that dude from Ferris Bueller." So the Enterprise B was a um, Excelsior class ship. I believe it was a slightly reworked one, given not using the original model. Its most famous deployment is probably where Captain Kirk was killed in the uh, Nexus Ribbon uh, in Star Trek Generations. Yep. Yeah, I believe they have they have referenced him in no- or referenced B and its crew in the novels, but that's about it. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I read the, uh, some of the novels when I was a kid, but yeah. I have not. Um, I've not read them in certainly, so long. Yeah, certainly <laughs> not recently, and certainly not all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Star Trek's kind of has a um, Star Wars problem with the novels. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, have- some people some people wouldn't consider it a problem, but like, uh, if you're like me, like when I get into a fandom, like I like to go all in on it, but Star Trek and Star Wars, it ain't happening. There's too no, much. <laughs> it, it goes, yeah, it gets too, gets too wild too quick. Like in a lot of the next gen novels, I remembered it was revealed that there was a cetacean ops deck crewed by whales and dolphins and they were necessary. <laughs> they, they had like little, little bubble helmets so they could get out and float around the ship and little things that translated their, their speech to human. But yeah. they, they would sit in these pools and help navigate the ship somehow. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Uh, the Enterprise C. Now, this is an interesting one because it was basically skipped over. Um, we went from the Enterprise A, but we had seen an Excelsior class. And then Star Trek The Next Generation came along, which had the Enterprise D. But in between, we really didn't know about what the B and C were. Most people assumed that the Enterprise B would have been an Excelsior class because that was the next upcoming class of ship. So the way they designed the C was they basically took an Excelsior class or a drawing of one and the Enterprise D connected their points with um, basically like tacks and string and then marked where the in-between an Excelsior class and a Galaxy class would be. (laughs) 
So it is quite literally like a tweener between two different designs. It does appear in the next generation in um, the episode mm-hmm. yesterday's Enterprise. And it was destroyed. <laughs> yep. Um, Unfortunately, one of the survivors included one Tasha Yar. A, yeah, a time-displaced Tasha Yar. Oh, yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> yeah, and almost the entire command crew was killed before they could uh, actually go back in time and handle what they were supposed to. Yeah. They ended up calling the class of ship the Ambassador class. And it's, it's actually a nice-looking class of ship that's, you know, you, that's model is reused here and there throughout Next Generation. Yeah, and you can kind of tell it was like a ship design with a little column A and a little column B. Yes, yes, you can. <laughs> Once you look at the uh, preceding and succeeding ships. Yeah, when you like when that. you put them in a line. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can you can definitely tell. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and then we'll go to the Enterprise D, which is probably the second most famous Enterprise. Yep. Galaxy uh, well, you class. know what? You might even say it's the most because way more people watched Seven Years of the Next Generation than they did the original three years of Star Trek. Yeah, but I mean, the original three years of Star Trek played in syndication forever. Yeah, for 25 so, years at this point or near enough. I mean, yeah, I watched it in, while it was in syndication. So, <laughs> yeah. No, it's, just, it's probably it's it's been way more than twenty five years. Oh yeah, no, but I mean at this point where uh, next gen came out, it'd been twenty one. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. But you know, by then there had already been Star Trek's one through three or four, and you know, um, but the D is kind of interesting because now this ship looks looks a little less functional than the ships we've seen before. It looks more. Like like a yacht or a cruise ship or something. I I don't know about that. Uh, I I don't get that impression from no? it. It okay. just no. I mean, uh, I guess I could see where you might get that from though, because I'm looking at a picture of it, like the obviously the outside of it, and, and I, I guess I could see where you're coming from. But yeah. I mean, to me, it has uh, always looked like. Well, I mean, this is the Star Trek I grew up watching. So. Sure, sure. I'm probably a little biased uh, on this one, but yeah, well, it's like my little brother. He's uh, who's right around your age. He calls this this is his enterprise, you know. <laughs> Basically, yeah. yeah. But yeah, so I guess when this ship was first designed, it was actually longer, and it still had a big oval uh, saucer section, and it, it was laid out a little bit different. But then when they realized they were going to be on a four by three TV, they actually spun everything ninety degrees. To give it a shorter, fatter appearance. No, oh. <laughs> because it's I know be that. On, yeah, it's going to be on a little square screen instead of a movie screen. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So they had this ship during all seven seasons of the Next Generation. Yeah. And then promptly let Deanna Troy drive it into a mountain in the first uh, Next Gen movie. <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> oh yeah, she she they separate the saucer and the the, uh, the engineering section, and she crashes the saucer right into a planet. Well, don't they do? Don't they do another saucer separation like within the first couple episodes of the? Oh, they do uh, one. They next do generation? one right. They do one right away. Yeah. 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 They were gonna actually every time every time this ship was gonna get into combat, there was gonna be a saucer separation, and then they realized just how expensive it would be to do that every episode. I mean, plus, and it's not very, um, if you're thinking about it from a practical standpoint, not from, you know, movie making on the ground, but like, uh, 
if you're thinking about it practically from the enterprise's point of view, that still doesn't make any sense to constantly do that. No. And you know what always kind of kind of got me on that one was you would then you would evacuate everybody's families into the saucer section, right? Mm-hmm. And then you would have the bottom of the ship has the battle bridge. It has um, it has warp drive. It has all that. Now all the civilian or civilian like people are in the saucer section, which does not have warp drive. So it's gonna go be a sitting duck. Yeah, yeah, that too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always, always kind of thought like, I mean, I could see why you would do it, but you would want warp on there somewhere, you know. Uh, well, yeah, I I think the first time that they used it, it was a pretty good situation to use it. Um, yeah. But yeah, generally, like, I don't know why you would want to do that constantly. Because first of all, it's going to be rough on the ship every time. Mm-hmm. And you're just introducing multiple preventable points of failure. Yeah, no, that's true. It's you know, like <laughs> the same reason you yell at your kids not to sling in the car door every time. You know, <laughs> yeah, just, eventually. Yeah. You're going to knock that lock out of whack and it won't work. Exactly. Then I'll have to put a little, uh, like, uh, you know, I have to get it bust out my roll of duct tape to fix it. You got to put one of those, like, (laughs) gate latches on there and now your car door is being held (laughs) shut by a master lock. Yep, yep, yep. So, uh, yeah, so the D, um, of course, would go on. Well, if we get into it, there are seven seasons of the show. Of course, we know the command crew. There was only one, but. There were three captains of the Enterprise during its time on the show. There was Picard. Mm-hmm. And then during a period of time where Picard had been captured and kidnapped by the Borg, William Riker was promoted to captain. Yep. And then when they sent Picard on a special black ops mission, they brought in Captain Jellicoe to take over. Yeah, I don't even recall that. Oh, yeah, that was that was actually a good one. And he comes off like you think he's going to be a bad guy, but it just turns out he's a little bit of a taskmaster, but he's right about everything he does. oh so here's something cool one of the alternate timelines for next generation i think it it last episode type thing Mm -hmm. and then maybe um they showed it had it not crashed during star trek generations uh so that alternate timeline d model it kind of looks like that um that conceptual design from 2013 the ixs enterprise if you look at it it, it looks way more like that one than the normal Enterprise look because, you know, it's got that extra nacelle on there. It kind of, yeah, it looks kind of like that IXS one. Yeah, so by adding the extra extra nacelle, you kind of blow up that. Yeah, because I remember on the IXS, there's the, the back has like, I don't know, like engines that looks like mounted and then with the rings around it. So it kind of looks like nacelles out the back. Yeah. Yeah. And then we go on to the Enterprise E, which was the Sovereign class introduced in uh, First Contact. While it was a cool-looking ship, I didn't like the lack of a neck in this design. But it was it did look good. I mean, it's not like I rejected you know rejected from reality <laughs> or anything. I just always preferred the Star Trek ships to have like a neck, you know. No, yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's a classic silhouette, man. You can't yeah. change that. <laughs> yeah, see, that's kind of how I felt about it. It was like, even though the D had different shapes, it still had, you could still recognize what it was supposed to be. Yep. Yeah. You know, Excelsior, the same thing. Yeah. It might be long and kind of spindly, but it's all the stuff is in the right place. Yeah. They would have this ship throughout the rest of the, um, the movie series from, what was that? From uh, First Contact through uh, Nemesis. But Nemesis, the less I say about that, probably the better. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's an insurrection also. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There was that one in between there. Yeah, I, I don't uh those movies, man. Like um, with the exception of the first original series movie, I really like the Star Trek movies until the Next Generation ones started coming out. They were just, I don't know. Uh, they just, even though the next generation was like, quote unquote, my Star Trek, I did not enjoy hardly any of the movies. Well, you notice like when they get into the next generation movies and I'm sure, I'm sure other people have done this better, but it becomes the data Picard show <laughs> and everybody else is kind of like put on a raft and left in the background somewhere and data and Picard are like the best friends who ever lived and neither one of them are really the characters they were in the TV show. Yeah, and that's probably what put me off of him. Because with the original series crew, I, you know, it, it feels like they were still the same characters from the show. Yeah. Yeah, they were still recognizable in every way. And they still fulfilled all the same roles, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas this, like all of a sudden now you're focusing on Data and Picard and everything's about the two of them. And Picard is now suddenly a, a revenge-driven lunatic and they all break the rules. Like, Can you imagine the Picard on the TV show Next Generation breaking the Federation rules as many times as he did in those couple movies? Absolutely not. No way. Yeah. <laughs> there is no way. So we get that uh, through the end of that movie. Now we get a kind of an interesting little thing here. The Star Trek online game introduced an Enterprise F at some yep. point. An Odyssey class. Yeah. Now the most recent preview trailer thingies of Picard season three, we see the Enterprise F and it is the one from the game. <laughs> So they are taking this from the game and making it a cannon ship. We don't know anything about it. We, so far, we don't know who the crew is, but we will be seeing that in the new Picard season when that starts in February. Yeah, this is another one of the iterations that I don't care for a whole lot for pretty much the same reasons. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have any neck. It, it, to me, it more closely resembles the um, you know, Enterprise oh, NX. Sure. Yeah, more flattened a lot. out and close together, yeah. yeah. So that one is coming. Now, there are a few things that stand out here that were kind of, I don't know, apocryphal may or may not be quite the right name for it, but there is the NCC-1701J from an episode <laughs> of Star Trek Enterprise. It is a time ship, and it looks a bit like a pizza cutter. Yeah, this thing looks dumb. Yeah. Like really, really dumb. <laughs> really dumb. Yeah. Um, then there is the NCC-1701M, which is a museum replica of the Enterprise from a fan-made movie called Star Trek of Gods and Men. I can't remember. Our friend Rico may or may not had something to do with this one. I'm, I can't remember for sure, but Tim Russ from uh, Voyager did. And, oh, okay. And Alan Ruck, you know, uh, John Harriman is in there as the captain of one ship or another. There's a lot of past parts are brought up, like Michelle Nichols is in there. The guy that played Stan in uh, Amok Time is in there. It's one to kill an hour if, if you want to sit down and watch it, but it's not one of the greatest fan films I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's this guy right here, the XCV-330, which is a USS Enterprise Earth spacecraft that was war capable, but I uh, they've never really settled on when this thing was used or why it was ex in existence. Yeah, yeah, I'd never heard of it before. 
Yeah, it's it's a ring ship. Its its design was eventually used for Vulcans, or the it was the base idea for the Vulcan ships. Yeah. But uh, this was one of Matt Jeffrey's designs for the Enterprise. They didn't think it looked big enough to hold the crew that the Enterprise was supposed to carry. But in Star Trek The Motion Picture, there's a shot that shows historical vessels named Enterprise, and it's one of those. And in um, Star Trek Into Darkness, when you're sitting in Admiral Marcus's office and there's the Enterprise models on his desk. Uh, that's Badmiral Marcus, Oh, sorry, Badmiral Marcus, yes. <laughs> but on his desk is also a model of this ship. Yeah, I don't, I don't even recall. <laughs> you know, I always liked it. It just, it was like one of those weird, you know, what the heck is that ship kind of things, you know? Yeah. And then, um, and then we actually have Paramount before the motion picture, uh, had planned a movie called Planet of the Titans. Oh, yeah. Uh, that featured a super redesigned enterprise. I mean, looking at it, you would, you would still, it would still plant you very firmly in Star Trek, but it, it appears that that original design is what the Discovery ship yes. was based on. It's, it, it, it looks like a flying wing with a saucer on top, pretty yep. much. No, it is pretty much the shape of the Discovery. Um, yeah. Interestingly enough, that was designed by Ralph McQuarrie, who did uh, all the designs for George Lucas's Star Wars. <laughs> But yeah, they um they actually had a number of things where they were working on redesigns and reboots and new TV shows. No, it's a movie. No, it's a TV show. All these all these ideas to get Star Trek, Star Trek back out there. But yeah, I, I do believe they've even admitted that this the Discovery was meant to look like that ship. Yeah, which I mean, cool. I, I like the I like the design of Discovery, especially um in the later seasons, because they they go through a refit where somehow the nacelles aren't like attached i i have seen that on those on the ships from that uh those seasons that the nacelles just kind of hang out yeah i mean i think it looks really cool though like yeah. what you would what you would think about you know all the um if you'd seen that much progress in starship design from the time discovery left till the time they came back Oh, yeah. Look, I mean, that's the thing is you have to move silence forward. One of the things I find most irritating about Star Wars is that apparently for 10,000 years, they had the same level of technology. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've always, I've always, like, I don't remember the, the prequel movies. I probably saw one or two of them, maybe not even in their entirety, but I don't know. It always seemed to me like the Star Trek universe was living, living in a remnant of a once- technologically advanced civilization because you're right you don't see a whole lot of innovation especially on the rebel side right <laughs> now the the empire you know they they still have um they still are making strides and stuff you know you got kylo ren's lightsaber and then the new basically death star like <laughs> so there, there's some different things the empire has going on but on the other side they're not they're they still working with old stuff it's old <laughs> old and dirty that's the way the rebel does things <laughs> all right well chris anything you want to you know, comment on or close on with the enterprise no i don't think so i am really really looking forward to planting my feet down on the newest aircraft carrier when it's finally commissioned hopefully 
I will be able to get like a a patch or a coin or a hat from, uh, oh, yeah, when we cool. do finally see it. Well, when yeah. they, they had a they had a year up there, what did they say twenty twenty five or something? Yeah, but given the massive amounts of issues the Ford class is having, that's probably maybe, been pushed to the right. I imagine maybe not. I mean, they they already started building a second one, so which I think. I think the newest one, the one they're working on now is the Kennedy, I want to say. Oh, okay. I'm not sure. But yeah, I, I will definitely uh, be interested in walking on that ship when it gets into my shipyard finally. <laughs> uh, that'd be cool, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, all right. Well, um, you know, anybody out there who's listening, if you uh, if you know something we missed there, please go ahead and throw it in the comments on on our website or on YouTube or wherever you're listening to it at. But if you have any other questions, comments, or theories you want to run by us, hit, hit up our website at strangenewtrekshow.com or follow the links in the show notes for this episode in your podcast app of choice. Please rate and review us wherever you listen to us. It's one small step for you, but a giant leap for the show. Special thanks to Miguel Esparza for the Strange New Trek theme and to Will Harding for all of his hard work in the YouTube department. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to set your phasers to stun and join us next time when we're on to the next planet of the week. Mm-hmm.